TuxJam, combining Linux news with Creative Commons goodness. Hello and welcome to TuxJam 102. And as usual, I'm joined by my fellow conspirators. Kevy, how are you tonight? Hello, hello. I am very well, thank you. Enjoying this uh, lovely weather, which is really odd for the north of Scotland, but I'll take it. I am sitting here in my Hawaiian shirt, by the way, just to, for the benefit of those who are not Tuxjam members. <laughs> I can confirm he is wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Let me just adjust my he monitor is, yes. settings. And uh, Dave, how are you tonight? Yeah, doing really well, thank you, Andrew. It's nice to get in, getting into spring, a little bit of bit of warmth in the air. Obviously, different climate here than it is up there in the uh, the extreme north. Yes, well, here it is like in Kevy land. It is nice. It was nice and warm today, and the sun came out. But I spent most of the day over in the far east, uh, which we also call Edinburgh, and. Uh, <laughs> I actually met somebody you both know, Dave Morris. I saw him and he and a friend of mine walked around the Doctor Who exhibition, which was quite quite nice if you're into Doctor Who. Excellent. Very good. So what have we got lined up for our dear listeners in this show? Well, I think the usual start might be something to do with Distro Watch, so we'll check and see what's available there. But we actually have two things and they, they are somewhat tenaciously linked. Uh, we're looking at a distro void Linux and a Mastodon uh, Linux desktop app called uh, Chuba. Hmm. So, and of course, there'll be the usual good stuff of uh, Creative Commons music. And also, since we last met, we had a pod crawl, which we'll no doubt be talking about. Tenaciously linked. Tenuously linked. They could be be tenaciously linked. I quite like that. I don't quite know what it means. Mm. Tenacious. Mm. Yes. 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 Let's say tenuously is what I was actually meaning. (laughs) Yes, I know. But let's say they're tenaciously linked. That sounds more exciting, more enigmatic. Um, We can edit out. uh, Do we do we have any tenuous D in our playlist this evening? Tenuous D. No, they didn't release any. They didn't release any Creative Commons stuff. Oh. Oh dear. <laughs> right, so Dave, what have you seen on DistroWatch? We have chosen 4M Linux in DistroWatch. It was released just over a week ago at the time of recording, version 42.0. Now, 4M Linux is a miniature Linux distribution focusing on maintenance, games, multimedia, and servers. The latest release, version 42, has a few new applications and a series of updates, including a raster graphics editor called Krita, uh, Hexahop, a video game, as well as uh, updated utilities for media. It has XMMS as the default media player. Now, I thought XMMS had kind of dropped off the map quite some time ago, but it Mm. seems as though it is actually still going on. But one thing that did jump out at me when I was looking at this, it says here it's able to open modern audio and video files, and then immediately says support for mod. Now, if I'm not mistaken, mod was an Amiga Amiga first format, which was a four-channel music tracker. Mm Mm-hmm. Back in the 1990s, I think it was, because I played around with mods and, and extended mods, .xm files, in the late 1990s, early 2000s. And uh, yeah, it was a really, really nice, nice conceptual format. Yeah, that was it. 4M Linux 42.0 released uh, just over a week ago. 
Yeah, you mentioned it's interesting. Uh, I've never heard that graphic application spoken out loud before. You called it Criter. I think in my head, although I never say it out loud, I call it Critter. But I don't know which is correct. I, interesting. I, th- I thought I said Critter, but regardless, it probably is Critter. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. I, I'll, uh, I'll have yeah, a look. I don't know, I don't know what is right. Um, <laughs> some Critter uh, somehow sounds nice, nice to me in my internal monologue voice. Natural critter. Critter makes it sound like a, a mouse or a rat. Critter. It does. A critter, yeah. Mm. It's a good application, actually. Yeah. It's, used to be able to do a few things that GIMP couldn't do with colour spaces. Don't know if that's true anymore. But so, yeah, good application. Right. So, Andrew, what are you looking at? Well, I am looking at a distro that I have tried, but not for many years. It's a version 14.0 of Tiny Core Linux. Now, I'm sure I've mentioned this in TuxJam before. Um, whether I mentioned it a year ago or five years ago or ten years ago, I'm less sure. But it still exists and it's still being developed. It comes in three editions. Core, that's for people who only like command line ex- experiences. Tiny Core, which provides a minimal graphical environment, and I'll come to just how minimal it must be in a minute. And Core Plus, which provides a range of desktop software. In version 14, it sounds like mostly version bumps and a few bug fixes. Nothing in the changelog that really jumps out at me. But to go back to what I was saying earlier, the, if you're a command line person, then it squeezes into an amazing 17 megabytes. If you just want a minimal desktop, that is yours for only another 6 megabytes at 23 megabytes. It's incredibly impressive for a, a graphical desktop. And if you want Core Plus, which you have a range of desktops, then you leap up by a factor of 10 in size, more than a factor of 10, to just a, sh- a little under 250 megabytes. So it is extremely small, uh, which I actually always liked about Tiny Core. Start with very little and work your way up. So what is the desktop that only fits in seven megabytes of? I don't know. I, I mean, I was thinking it was D, it was something like DWM or something tiny like that. But I don't oh, know. is is it Flum? F L W M. Oh, you might be right. Not sure. I'm not familiar with that one. Yes, I used that years ago. I don't know if it is that though. I can't see. I'd have to check. It's based on a recent oh. Linux kernel, BusyBox, TinyX, FLTK, and Flum. No, Room, it, the fast light window manager. It, I think it mentions DWM, so I don't know which one it is. Mm. Oh, yeah, it does say FLUM. Yes, you're right. It is I think Flum. it is FLWM, yeah. Oh, right. Interesting. Yeah, I think you're right. Wow. Right then, so the one that I was having a wee look at was XTix. And XTix was once upon a time based on Ubuntu, but is now based on Deepin. The... Essentially, this one does seem to be more just a general update rather than anything particularly exciting. XTix is a Linux environment and live DVD offering a choice of alternative desktop environments. And the list here we have is Budgie, Deepin, KDE Plasma and LXQT. It is based out of Sweden and it's just generally a desktop distro. So nothing particularly amazing about it. I like the under in the notes it says, I must say though that I haven't discovered any bugs. Now <laughs> you have to be brave to put that on a release note. <laughs> yeah. The installed programs won't crash or anything like that. I mean, seriously, I'm sure I've taught this kid today. Installed <laughs> <laughs> programs won't crash. Wow, what a what a what a feature to shout about. I mean it is a good feature, you know, it's one feature I, I look for, to be fair. 
Yeah. Uh, not having any bugs. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, if you want to go check that out, it's Xtix. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Xtix 23.4. E-X capital T I capital X. So there you go. Right then. I think before we actually start looking at Void, what do we say we have a wee tune? Yes. Mm. I think we, before we go into the Void, we have a tune. Yes. This is The Pumps with Climb Aboard. You climb up on the 57 bus, burning rubber in a bike lane. You pick a color out of bus, cause we didn't know the right train. Okay then, so next up we are going to be dropping into the void to review Void Linux. Andrew, as you were the one who recommended this to us, uh, maybe you should start with the review. How did you get on with it? Well, let me start the review by taking issue with what you just said. (laughs) I didn't recommend it to you. I just pointed out that when somebody else recommended or suggested Tuba, that (laughs) Tuba... Uh, which we'll review in a bit, had a build specifically for Void Linux. Um, and I'd never heard of Void Linux, so I th- I think I said, oh, that's interesting, maybe we should have a look at that. So if that's a recommendation, then guilty as charged, my lad. You well, recommended that, it for review. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that actually does. We should look at it. I think it's probably a recommendation. <laughs> recommended for review is accurate, but that is not what was said. Objection. <laughs> anyway, I downloaded the 2022 
October release, which was the most recent one for X64. So I did my usual. I read, uh, I actually read the instructions before I download Linux, and it was certainly worth doing with this one. It's worth saying that this is an independent distro. It's not built on top of anything else. It's it's its own distro built from the ground up with its own package manager and all the rest of it. So uh, hats off to anyone who can do that uh, and takes the time to do that, first of all. When it started up, it started fine. I into the live uh, uh, graphical desktop with XFCE. I had to manually choose a screen resolution. It defaulted to a very small one, like 800 by 600 or something. So I had to go into settings and as you, you know, every distro, I'm not that familiar with XFC, but I found how to do that. It was pretty straightforward, to be honest. Then after reading some instructions, I discovered that you had to use a command line installer to install it called void hyphen installer. Okay. Which was, which is fine. It let me SU to root from the anonymous default user, which I did. And, but the root user, which I was surprised to let me do that, to be honest, but it's a habit from Slackware. That's what I do usually. Although you can do it, it's a very minimal environment. You can't, you don't, you have no command history. You have no command tabbing. It's yeah. So you could do it that way, but uh, working in that environment's not so good, but you can use sudo as well. That, do, that does work. So the void installer is not really command line when you come to it. It's actually n curses, which is that sort of pseudo terminal uh, user interface where you can move stuff around using cursor keys and whatnot. And that, that's how the Slackware installer works to this day. However, it was not as friendly as the Slackware installer. Um, I had to stop and think for myself Whereas Slackware is, yes, it's in curses, it's not a GUI, but it does generally suggest sensible defaults for you. That wasn't really the case uh, with the Void installer. Um, in fact, I managed to get through it uh, with, I did two things. First of all, I don't recall choosing a bootloader, but it decided, to, to, I think it did choose a ma an MBR to put the bootloader in the MBR because I never said what I wanted to do, but they then refused to install because I hadn't told it where I wanted the root file system mounted. Now, of course, if you're a beginner user, that's going to find, that's going to be awfully confusing. And if you are installing in real hardware, that's potentially hard drive wiping time. So let's face it, Void Linux, I think at this stage, is really for people who know their way around Linux, the command line, and how file systems work and are organized on Linux. And even though I would class myself as such a user, actually, I still found it a little bit confusing uh, during the installer, but I got through it. Well, as I didn't select a bootloader, I was curious as to what it would do. I wondered if it might not work at all, but it did. Uh, and it uh, booted up no problem at all when I booted it from the hard drive. And... I immediately went to see what apps there were. Well, there's a lot of, I don't know, icon editor and like very small, tiny little apps. But as for big apps that do, that does, that, that allows you to do more, there was almost nothing. There was Ristretto, the image viewer, Firefox, and Parole Media Player, which I'd never heard of. Firefox, of course, I have heard of, but the other two I have not. Um, so that was the first thing I noticed. It doesn't really come with very much. It's very minimal. Now, but up to this point, no errors, no problems, really no serious problems. So the first thing I did was, having read the documentation, was to run XBPS, the package manager, to update the system. 
The first time I did it, it got to the letter E somewhere in the packages and crashed out with bus error, which I understand means that it tried to address memory that didn't even exist. Uh, then I ran it again and it continued where it left off and then it failed with an input-output error, which I presume meant it failed reading the disk somehow, which doesn't look good. And then I started it off again and it continued where it left off and then failed installing a package due to the RSA key failing to verify a signature or having failing to verify a signature with an RSA key of some kind. Again, not exactly encouraging, but I ran XBPS again and it finished off. And I chose to reboot after the update and I was fully expecting corrupt packages and disaster, but no, it worked fine. Booted up and even remembered the screen resolution I had asked for previously. So all in all, a bit nerve-wracking having done an update and run into three errors with updating packages, but seemed to me that none of the packages were all that crucial, so maybe I got away with it, or maybe it corrected the error in the second attempt. I'm not 100% sure, but it you know, seemed okay at that point. So my first task, because we were also going to review Tuba, which we'll come to later, was to install Tuba. And I did X on the command line X bps dash query hyphen r capital r small s space tuba and it filmed it hurrah and then i did this um x bps hyphen install space tuba and it failed <laughs> and it said no such package and i went hmm you just filmed tuba and then i looked carefully and noticed that tuba the package was spelt with a capital t and although query the search for the package would forgive you that uh, when you install it, it insists you get the case right. So I figured that out and Tuba installed and it appeared under a um, desktop menu, so it appeared to install fine. And then I started it, I diverted, I, I initiated the authentication, so it sent me off to the browser. I typed in my Mastodon uh, username and password, uh, authenticated fine, sent me back to Tuba and it crashed about a second after it showed me, it gave me a brief flash of my most recent messages in my Mastodon timeline. Uh, I tried it again. About a second later, it crashed. And then I thought, well, I don't really know why it crashed. So I launched it from the command line, which was again tricky because you have to, the, the executable is dev.gopjr.capitaltuba. It, it ran, it stayed alive for a little bit longer, maybe three seconds, and then it crashed. And I can see the command line that it segfaulted. So some kind of... Yeah, addressing memory that was naughty uh, was going on. Don't know why that was the case. At this point, I, after a few more experiments, I decided that in all likelihood that it was not Tuba's fault that it was segfaulting. Void Linux was just crashing left, right, and centre. There was something seriously wrong with it somewhere. Um, I don't know where it had gone wrong, but it seemed to me that it was having it was generating errors while reading to the disk, reading and writing to the virtual disk. I don't know why, though. I couldn't really make head nor tail of it. So that's really as far as I got with Void Linux. Beyond that, I was just finding crashes left, right, and centre when I was trying to do things. So it wasn't the best of experiences of a distro, I'll be honest. But if those crashes didn't occur, 
then maybe I would have continued and uh, reviewed it more thoroughly and got to know it a bit better. But as it, fe- as it stands, I kind of feel like I really just had a little taste of it because it wasn't stable enough to for me to test more thoroughly. So that's what I thought of Void Linux. Kevy, how did you get on? Well, we actually seem to have pretty much polar opposites experience, but I didn't use the VM. I actually installed it onto partition. Uh, similar to yourself, I downloaded the ISO, the XFCE ISO. I think, like you said, the most recent one was last October, I think, and wrote it onto the pen drive, fired it up, and I was really impressed with how quickly it loaded off a USB and also how well it was working. It was, it really was a good live environment. It was very good. But of course, I wasn't there to try the live environment. So I assumed because I had specifically downloaded the XFCE that it was going to install XFCE. <laughs> um, no. Right. So I, I found another issue with it. I don't know if you guys found this, but it's fine when you look at the manual on the desktop, right? Try looking at the the Void Linux manual on the phone. And every time I jump to anything in navigation or anything like that, uh, I get a blank page. That's all I get. I get nothing. So, unfortunately, my help had to be, okay, go get my laptop. There's my manual. So it was really rather annoying that. But uh, what actually, to be honest, what actually helped me more was just looking up other people's experience with it. So I installed it, and like you say, it's an incursion installer. It's not user-friendly at all to install. And I have got a partition set up called testing. Now, I always just look for the partition with the label testing. No. When it came to where do you want to install it? Now, I I went through the steps. I filled in everything because it said, what do you want to name your computer? Give the computer a host name. Did that. Your name, your username did that. What do you want to, what do you want your name to be displayed as did that. Root password did that. Password for user did that. And then it said, where do you want your bootloader to go? I didn't because I don't want to overwrite my current one because I did not want Void Linux to become my standard. So I just said, skip the step. And then I thought, right. Okay. Then that's fine. What I'll do is. I'll just install my testing just my testing partition. Okay, it just said where do you want to install it? That's it. I had to type in where I want to install it. And I'm going, I can't remember off the top of my head where it is. I'm looking for the testing label. So what I had to do there was what I actually did was every all my uh on the live distro, all of my disks and partitions individually were actually down the left hand side in icons. And I just went to the one that I thought was it. And because I knew it via size and right clicked on it, made sure it was the right one. Cause I thought there's no way I want to install over my actual day to day distro and found that. Okay. Right. Install it here. What do you want to install? Now it wasn't immediately obvious. You know, it didn't say what's your mount point or anything. I can't remember what it was, but essentially I just thought, right. Okay. I'm not going to play about. I'm not going to make a separate home partition because I'm not really going to use this as my daily driver. So I just installed everything. Just had to go slash and then install. Now, everything looked fine and it installed relatively quickly. And I did everything. It said install. You can continue using the live or you know reboot to go into your new distro. Okay. So went, rebooted, 
went through the start, and then it said I got a red warning. Host name not set. And I'm going, I did set a host name. And then it was just a, a cursor, and it was root, uh, sorry, um, username. So put in Kevy, put in my password. Uh, no, that is the username and password I put in. Try it again. Username, password, username, Kevy, password. Okay, that's weird. Root, password. I got a root terminal. Okay, that's it. So I had no graphical desktop at all. Uh, one thing I would like to point out is when I went in on the live environment, straight away it found my... Uh, I was connected to the network. I didn't have to do anything. So I thought, okay, I'm in root here. Let's look up the user. My user was not there. It was it was gone. It was just nothing. It was as if I hadn't created a user at all. So, okay, then create user, Kevy, And then, of course, then you've got to try and think, right, what actual groups do I blimmin' need? If, you know, it's been a week while I've done this manually. So then I was thinking, right, okay, so I wanted to do this. And I thought, I don't want to be in root too much because I want to actually try and do as much as I can just through Kevy rather than just through root. So... I uh, exited out, logged back in as Kevin. Again, this is just a terminal. And of course, the one thing I'd forgotten about, and I should know this, I've been, you know, especially with a, being a distro hopper, you put sudo and what do you get? <laughs> Kevin is not in the sudo or file. This incident will be reported. Uh. <laughs> and I'm going, oh yeah, okay, right. So vi sudo. And uh, so I got into that, it put my username uh, in there, give myself sudo privileges, came back out. And I was like, right, let's try now. X, XBPS is, it's, it's very, if, if you're used to terminal, it's actually quite good. I have to confess. You've got XBPS query or dash query, right? That will search for something. You've got XBPS uh, install, right? That will install it, but you have to be very careful because it's case sensitive and you have to give it exactly what you want. Uh, you can remove it, which is it'll delete something. You can reconfigure. The first thing you need to do is a wee bit like apt update, but I can't remember. What, I don't think it's XBPS update, but I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, I actually didn't write that one down. I thought, right, let's see what I can do here because I've just got a terminal. This has given me a terminal, nothing. I mean, this, if anybody has ever done Arch Linux or Gen 2 Linux, it's kind of similar in that respect. You have got a terminal. That is it, nothing. So this is after you, this is just to be clear. This is after you'd installed. This is after I've installed it. I've removed the USB and I've rebooted the computer. So this that's is installing really it. Strange because that's not what happened to me at all. I went straight back uh, in with my username into a graphical and XS well, environment. Absolutely hmm. nothing. But the thing is, what actually saved me was I looked up. I didn't look up the manual purely because. I couldn't. It was on the phone, and I thought, I didn't really want to have a laptop beside me on a table, going to a table and everything. So I was actually looking up other people's experience, and this seems to be quite a common bug. Right. So whatever you put in, it'll install it onto that partition, but that's it. It basically wipes anything else you've done. The other thing I noticed was I had put in UK. I had done my checks for typing in the, the when it actually dropped in. The symbols were different. It was a US keyboard that had gotten in. Yes, I, I found that. I so, had that same problem. Yes. That, so that basically, it, it only just installed what I asked it to. Nothing else uh, was saved. Like I said, I was just given a completely blank canvas. I was thinking, right, let's do something that I don't just want to do no more KD. Let's do something I haven't done in a wee while. 
And I'm a Mate fan, so I thought, let's go with this. Let's just try installing the Mate desktop. Looked it up. Yep, it's there. And then I was like, wait a minute, let's have a look. Now, it had absolutely nothing on the official website except the fact that Mate existed. And a post from 2013, which was out of date. Well, out of date. And so I had a wee look at a few other people, but there wasn't an awful lot. I mean, you're talking like two or three that I found that were actually any use. So they were just saying, uh, just make sure you add this, this, and this dependency. And this is where it's a bit of a problem. So, but what I did first of all, I typed in, okay, search. And I found what I needed and I typed in, okay, then XBPS install error straight away. I was like, Hmm. why? I was like, okay, right. Okay. Then I tried something else, error. And then I thought, let's try a tiny program. So XBPS install nano error. And I'm going, wait a minute, ping. And I just pinged a, 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 a website. Nothing. I went, oh, I've lost my internet connection here. So what I actually had to do was go back and link that. So I had to go into, no, like I said, I wish I had written this down. My intention tonight was actually to record using it. And then I would have a list of all the commands I had actually put in. But the problem was I couldn't get everything working. So that went back. So, but basically what I had to do was go into etc slash sr and then I had to look for dhdpc. Is that right? DHCP. DHCPCD. It's very confusing. Yeah, you know the one. So I had to link that and then I had to link the dh blah, 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 dash eth zero. Again, I had to link that. And then tried it ping. Yes, it's worked. So now I had an internet connection. So the first thing I had to do was update XBP, XBPS. This is another problem. I'm dyslexic. See this XBPS? Mm. <laughs> I kept on doing it, flicking the wrong way around. Yeah. I had Ds, I had Qs. It, it was driving me off the wall. But <laughs> anyway, so uh, but that's not that's not this fault. It's just it's it's an issue I've got. I installed Mate. I installed everything that I needed. And it said... Uh, it's so I was reading another person's blog post and said, Don't forget, you're going to need a welcome screen. Uh, what do you call it? Splash screen? No, uh, like a DM, uh, like a GDM. All oh, right, a login. login screen. Thank you, yeah. yeah. Login. So I thought, right, I'll use Light because that's the one that Matty recommends. So Light DM uh, installed that. All that worked fine. And then I was like, Okay, let's try. A, so I, I did that. There's a few things you had to do to X in it. So X in it RC. So did that. And mm, why is this not working? Why is this not working? Now it does pull in some dependencies. <laughs> what do you think is one of the major dependencies for a desk, graphical desktop environment? What would you say? The fact that you're asking this question in the first place leads me to suggest that it may be system D. No, no, it doesn't use system D. It oh, used X, X, in win- it. X windows. Okay. Yeah. You'd think that it would actually drag that in when you installed Mate or any desktop environment. I thought, wait a minute here. This is not running. Nothing's running. I was trying just to get into light DM and like that and nothing. Oh, wait a minute. Search X11. <laughs> not installed. Xorg not installed. <laughs> so I'm like, right, install Xorg. So once I did that, now please bear in mind, this is a good six hours after initial installation. So it had taken quite a long time. Now, actually, once I did that, 
I was given a vanilla mate straight away it fired up and I just put in the settings to make sure that it didn't boot to a terminal it booted into the graphical environment and it was no bother and the one thing that actually I found was once I got through this bit the rest was a doddle it was very fast it actually did remind me of the first time I used Gentoo when you first kind of just set it up so that you get that initial graphic environment and you think wow this is blisteringly fast it's only because you haven't got any applications at all but you've got a very bare bones graphical environment and that's what this was like I installed a few different things everything actually installed that I wanted to uh, or that I tried to there was obviously with it being such a small team there's a lot of stuff missing what I was trying now uh, it did have things like I installed LibreOffice, worked, no problem. I installed Audacity, I installed Firefox, installed Lutris, that was fine. Steam was a no-show, but a Steam controller configuration application was there, which confused me. (laughs) Well, okay, Mm. you can control, you can uh, map out your Steam controller, you just can't use Steam with it. (laughs) I tried a few things, Audacity worked. The sound, actually, I quite like the default sound package because initially I, I went for Pulse Audio uh, volume control, which I quite like. Of course, then realized I hadn't installed Pulse, but I didn't need to. It was all working. So that was a pointless package. Uh, so I removed that. Um, but everything was actually working really nicely. The only time after getting the whole thing running was the... When I installed Tube, I found Tube, I no bother, but of course I had the same problem as yourself, Andrew. Typed in, you know, do install Tube, I'd said no such application. I went right there, then realized capital T. So install Tube, and then it decides, right, fire up Tube. No. And okay, let's fire up Tube from a terminal. And fired it up, and I got an error about a dependency, Vala. Okay, right, let's install Vala. Vala installed, no problem. I double-checked to make sure it didn't install. I fired it up again, and it said, dependency issue Vala. <laughs> I'm quite, right, okay, I gave up on Tube. I just know that's actually the only one that didn't work. So GIMP, Inkscape, Audacity, Transmission, Firefox, uh, LibreOffice, all installed without any problems. Uh, as far as what it looked like, it Kind of wasn't too dissimilar to using Portage with Gen2 or uh, even just to be honest, Apt or something like that. I, I just, no, I would say it's a wee bit different Apt. It's probably closer to Portage. Did, uh, Kevin, did you do, before you installed like Tuba and other apps, did you do an update using XBPS? Because that's, uh, I was thinking yeah. what was different about your experience to mine. I can't explain. You know the fact that you got stuck without a graphical environment at first. Uh, that, as you say, is a separate bug. But if maybe the fact that you couldn't even get Tuba to run, maybe that was because there was updates required. Oh no, I had updated everything. You had updated. I did that first. Yeah, because okay. I've been been used even to apt. You know, it's, the first thing I always do is apt update, and then because if you forget that half the time, things don't mm. work. But uh, interesting. So no, we didn't get I had the same result. That. So no, but the the thing is, this is what I mean. It was completely opposite. I mean, you actually had a fairly easy installation, mm. and then your bugs started happening when you started running it. Whereas with me, it was the exact opposite. My installation was terrible, but thankfully there was a one YouTuber in particular who had exactly the same, exactly the same in every way thing that I had. So 
Mm. I I just kind of I was looking at I kind of he didn't he installed KDE, pardon me, so I couldn't follow him directly. But at least actually, I was thinking, okay, I don't need to reinstall this. It seems to be a bug. Yes, goodness. Yes. So overall, though, I actually once you got past this initial install, I actually thought this was pretty good. But but there's a real caveat here. Would I recommend anybody use this over Gen Two or Arch? A man's would be no, for one simple reason. There's very little documentation, very little forum posts, very little stuff out there. You really have to go and hunt. And one of the good things, in fact, to be honest, when it came to installing uh, Mate, I actually went to the Arch website to make sure I had all the dependencies because it actually listed the dependencies. So it, the Arch wiki did help me quite a bit on this. The only reason that I wouldn't recommend it I mean, certainly if you want to have a go of it, yes, I would recommend it. It's certainly usable once you get past the initial stages, in my opinion. But the only reason I wouldn't recommend anybody have it is because I just can't recommend this over likes of Gen 2 or Arch because they practically do the same thing. They, they build up a system from nothing. But the big difference is those have huge communities behind them which will offer you help. If you get stuck on this, you're pretty much on your own. So if, if you want it as a learning curve, fine, go for it. But right now, it needs documentation that works on a mobile, I'd say. But it also needs a wee bit more of a community behind it just to be there to offer support. So that was my two penneth, which turned into probably a hundred quid. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, so it's a, yes, yes, you had much more of a saga than me, certainly. So, Dave, I know you've had less time to look at it than, than Kevin and I, but what did you, what, where did you get to with it? You've left me with nothing. <laughs> I mean, what I, what I can do is agree with bits that people have said. I think the installer experience was possibly one of the worst ones I've ever had. I also had problem fun with the dispartition in the same in a similar way you did, uh, Kevy. But the the issue I had is that I had to create an EFI partition because I was using the UEFI. BIOS setting thing um, and that was a bit of a faff to get through because it told you you had to do it but it gave you no indication as to what it is you needed to do and the ultimate conclusion I came to with regard to this entire distribution is that the distribution in itself it has behind it one of the most important things that a, a, a distribution of this kind needs to have and that is it has a vision it has a purpose and I completely buy into that. I've got no problems with that whatsoever. But it limits itself by its very nature to those people who know exactly what they're doing. What does it say on the, on the website? Void is a general purpose operating system. Well, general purpose suggests that it could be used and should be used by anybody or should be usable by anybody. This is not, in my opinion, if you want a distribution that's going to be used by everybody, you have to get that that perfect balance between usability and hackability. This is a phenomenally hackable distribution. The fact that it is so bare bones means it, it gives you almost the perfect blank canvas to start to build up something exactly the way you want it. The fact that it it's built on its on its own legs and it has its own package management. It is a perfect start. It's it, From a values perspective, it's a really, really good place to start. 
particularly if you're not a fan of Debian and Debian derivatives, which I know there are a lot of people aren't. And the majority of distributions tend to be based on those standing on the shoulders of giants, of course. But this is something brand new. Oh, it's not new, but it's it's something new to everything else. But by its very nature, and because it's it's designed, I think certainly from my experience, it's designed more of a hackable uh, distribution than a general purpose daily driver. It is, and I think you both use the phrase, not user friendly. So the it's not obvious the things you need to do. Going back to my original point, that you have to be, you have to know exactly what it is you're doing to be able to use this distribution. The question that you ask, Heavy, would you recommend it? Well, actually, I probably would. For somebody who's looking for something as a bare bones, blank canvas with nothing already installed, apart from Firefox, Ristretto, Parole, and and the like. Uh, by the way, Ristretto and Parole are the, the default XFCE uh, media like. Uh, Media ah, player and image viewer. They? Okay, so how long it is? Um, how long has that been the case? I don't remember seeing them before. I have no different. idea. I just looked it up. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're part of the they're part of the default XFCE oh. um, installation. Would I recommend it to the Joe in the street? No, absolutely not, because it, it's not a it's not something you would use as a poster child into the Linux paradigm at all. But for what it is and what I think it's attempting to be, it, is, it does seem to be really, really good. I still think there's a lot of work to be done on the UX side of things. So the installer could be more intuitive. The package manager, although it does seem to do its job, although, Kevy, you mentioned when you installed Tuba, you then had to go inst- and install Vala. Now, Tuber is built on, uh, uh, written in Vala, which I'll talk about in my review of the, of the thing. But in the majority of other, maybe slightly more mature distributions, if you, in, say, install Tuber, it will say, ah, I need Vala, I will then install that as well. And it will do that for you. So to then go through the stage of thinking that your software is installed, where actually, yes, that one piece of software is installed, but the things it needs to run on, because Vala is a, is a, a development environment and a runtime, if it's not present, it's not going to run. Of course it's not. So you'd ex- you kind of expect that in this day and age to be there. Hmm, but that's interesting because that did work for me. I didn't have any problem with Vala. I assumed, I don't, I don't recall what happened uh, um, after I told it to install uh, Tuba, but I had no problems with a dependency at that point, which is strange. Yeah, and I, I completely accept that, but it looks as though the experience that Kevy had when he was installing the distribution um, that a lot of the things you he was expecting to see, he, no, like a graphical desktop, for example, <laughs> weren't there, <laughs> and had yeah, exactly, and had to be installed manually. So it looks as though maybe a, as part of the installation process, something skipped or missed or so. I don't know, but I had I had a similar experience to you, Andrew, that when when I went through and did the installation and said yes, I want the. I, th- I think I I downloaded the version that actually had the the desktop environment already there. So when I did the installation and rebooted, it came up into XFCE, mm-hmm. and that just kind of worked. Oh no! It so, so did could. I. I installed the I installed it from the live environment that was XFCE. Mm. Yes, we got different and results. Yeah, I didn't get XFCE. But the other thing that would be strange is Vala is not something I would expect distribution to ship. So I assumed then that Tuba's dependencies were brought in with it. 
So I'm still puzzled as to how. Yeah. How that worked. Or do, you would or, expect so, because I, th- I think even because it's um, the. Well, uh, yes, that's the other point, because you're running it through the the X- XBPS package, package manager. It may be that that's not handling the dependencies correctly. Um, I didn't install Tuba in Void, which is a bit daft, because that was kind of the point of why we were distrib- uh, reviewing Void in the first place. But I installed it as a flat pack on my own machine, and the flat pack installation process pulled in the dependencies that were needed at the time. Although, having said that, being that it's a flat pack, it should be self-contained. So maybe the, the Vala runtime was actually present in the flat pack package. Yes, I was I wondering whether it was I a don't flat actually pack know. That, that, that Void pulled in. Um, no, I don't know. And I, 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 I'm going to go and find out. No, it definitely wasn't. Or oh, not on my system no, anyway. Because when you lo- launched on the terminal, it said version and it said flat pack and my one said no. Right. Version zero point two zero flat pack no. I remember that. That was one of the things that but I it, do. But it runs its own build process for Void, so that would suggest it's try it, it's doing a build natively for Void based on Void's dependencies plus Vala, because mm-hmm. Vala is um is what a lot of elementary uh, OS tools are written in. Mm. I believe. I wrote down one thing that made me chuckle. Actually, you you said something, Andrew. You said when you were trying to run Tuba that maybe it was addressing memory that was naughty. And I was trying to work out what memory would have done to be naughty. (laughs) Um, When I was having a look around while the two of you were talking, I did uh, happen upon the documentation. There was something regarding kernel panics specifically uh, that if once you've either updated or installed software, you are getting kernel panics, then maybe your boot partition may be low on space. So that may have been the cause of why you were getting um, kernel panics when you were trying to run Tuba. Hmm. Intriguing was to usually you don't need a lot of space in your boot partition, but maybe it was using more than expected. No, but, that's, but I think that's where the kernels, well, according to this, is where the kernels go, or at least the headers go. Yes, yes. And the, the init... Uh, RAM disk the, thing. Our D thingies, yes. So yeah, that's that's pretty much all I've got to say on uh, on Void. Like I say, it's, it's a, a great concept, fantastic values um, to be built on top of. But from a from a, it, and I'm I'm concentrating purely on the UX because no, I am I am a user, so I'm looking for the experience. And unfortunately, in this case, I didn't find it. Maybe that's because I'm not the right target audience for this particular distribution. Mm-hmm. Right, are we ready for a tune? Definitely after that. (laughs) This is the Spin Wires with Goodbye, Goodnight. Oh, whoa. 
going to take a look at the oboe fork tuba. No, that's blatant lie. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Mastodon client tuba and Dave's to blame for this one so we can all glare at him. So for that reason, I'm going to pass it straight over. So how did you get on with tuba, Dave? Well, um, you joked about it being forked from oboe. It's actually forked from tootle. So it's <laughs> yeah, not uh, not completely wrong. Yeah, so Tuba is a Fediverse client, uh, and I use the word Fediverse specifically because it, it'll work with things like Pleroma, Mastodon, Friendica, or all the other Fediverse-style uh, services. It is a very, very simple client, very easy to use, very uncluttered, written in Vala and built on GTK4. But for its simplicity, it looks gorgeous. It integrates well into the look and feel of whatever OS you're using. But having said that, I'm running Ubuntu. So your mileage may vary, particularly on non-GTK native environments like KDE. The layout of the application is uh, pretty straightforward. Um, The app has a sidebar and a main content area. If you shrink the size of the application down so that the sidebar becomes more than 50% of the width of the entire window, the sidebar collapses into kind of like an auto-hide, which you can then pull back up again uh, afterwards. The main content area where you, your timeline and your posts go, it doesn't really lend itself to an ultra-wide um, monitor because if you maximise the screen, you'll get a full-size uh, window, as you would do with any other application on a Linux desktop environment. But the actual timeline is still only about three inches wide which is is great if you're used to browsing the Fediverse on a mobile phone, for example. It kind of keeps that that nice thin, because you don't need much space for what it is you're looking at. It's it's nice nice compact. So keeping it in a windowed uh, viewport kind of makes a lot more sense. So on the left, you've got your sidebar. Like I said, you've got your content on the right. The sidebar itself uh, has a header at the top of it where you have a compose button and a switch account button. Now, 
I can't remember. I've, had, I've been using this for quite some time now, so I can't remember whether when you open the application for the first time, you don't have any accounts configured, whether it drops you straight into the ad account wizard. Maybe one of my colleagues will um, will confirm that yeah, for me. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, correct. Yeah, thank you. Adding a new account is really shockingly straightforward. When you click on the add account button or you launch for the first time, the first thing you do is you enter in the address of your home server. So, for example, all three of us are on the mastodon.me.uk instance. So that was what you would put in there. And then when you click next, it then boots you straight into uh, a browser tab where you're offered to either authorize or deny the connection to your existing Mastodon or Pleroma or whatever account. If you're not logged in, it'll obviously prompt you to log in and then give you the choice to, uh, to, to authorize or not. And then once you click on that authorize button, it will either directly or it'll come up with a prompt on the browser to, to launch. It'll take you back to the Tuber application and boom, there is your timeline. So literally you tell it where it is, you log in and you're sent back to the application and it just works. If you have already created an account within Tuber, then the switch account button, which is the one that looks like two people, one standing slightly behind the other in kind of a pointless celebrities style um, view, then you will see your account listed in that little pop-up that comes uh, comes up when you press the the switch account button, and at the bottom of there you can then there's a, an add account option where you can add multiple multiple uh, accounts as many as you like. I actually have five different Mastodon accounts added to my instance of Tuba. Well, actually it's six because I tested and re-added one of the ones I already had there. But who's counting? But switching between them, so if I switch to the the Tuxjam podcast version, you know contextually correct then what you actually see on your sidebar at the very top is you've got your avatar the name of your account and also its username so you can see immediately which account you're actively using because you're only actively using one account at a time even if you've got multiple listed in the um, switch account settings and then on the left hand side you've got your compose button where you can create a post status toot dent, whatever you want to call it, using text or media. You can set a content warning. You can put um, emoji in there up to whatever the limit of your particular instance is. In my case, it's uh, it's 500 characters. And you can also set uh, the privacy level of that post. Is it public? Is it just to your followers? If you're sending it just to an individual user, all that option is there. It is worth pointing out that the interface of Tuba is fairly close or is likely to be fairly close to the instance that you are you have connected it to. So for example, I've got five Mastodon accounts listed in my tuba. But if I go to those Mastodon accounts, you'll see the same labels, the same options on the sidebar of your chosen Mastodon instance or whatever. Uh, so just to follow on from that, on the sidebar underneath your avatar and the account name, you then have a number of links. So you've got home, which is your home timeline, basically everything you're following. You've got local, which is only content from the instance that you're a member of. Federated, which is the exact opposite. It's everything but the instance that you're a member of, but only those instances that your instance is aware of. It's a complex little quirk of that one. You don't see everything in the entire universe, only those things that your uh, local instance knows of. Uh, favorites, which is everything you've ever favorited, bookmarks, everything you've ever bookmarked, and lists, which I haven't used personally, but I think you can 
add accounts to it and, and call those lists up and say, just show me this group of accounts. I think that's how it works. Now, all of the above links I've mentioned will be based on the equivalent functions of whatever your actual account does in its web interface. So whatever is in here should be, and in my experience is, the same as you would see in the same option within uh, the web interface. So if you click on Federated in Tuba and you click Federated on your Mastodon instance, you should see exactly the same content. That's in, in practice. I've not seen otherwise. And then underneath those options, you also have Preferences, which is for the local application. It's mostly look and feel related stuff or, or options for how the timeline loads. And that's pretty much it. There's not, not a lot of customization options there. But to be fair, you don't really need them. Uh, and you have a little uh, little option for about that tells you about your application version number, links to support and, and credits and the like. And then on the right-hand side, you have your actual content area. And this shows you whatever it is you've selected from the sidebar. So if you've selected federated, then this is where you'll see your federated posts. If you're on the home timeline, then at the top of the content area in the header bar, you'll see three tabs. The first one is called home, and that's where you'll see your actual content. Second one is notifications. So anything mentions, replies, favorites, boosts, follows of you and your content will appear in that tab. So if someone follows you, you'll see it. If someone uh, favorites a post, you'll see that. If someone mentions you or replies to a post you've made, then that's where you'll get notifications for it. And then the third one is called conversations. And this is the equivalent. I'm just trying to see what the equivalent is in Mastodon, actually. But it's it's basically it's your your direct messages, your direct messages with uh, with other users. There's also in the uh, header bar of your home timeline a little a magnifying glass, and that allows you to search uh, either at an, at an account level, so you can search for other users, statuses or toots or dents or whatever you want to call them. Uh, but only if your instance has enabled it. On the instance we have, you cannot search statuses. So that, that function doesn't work. Uh, but you can also search by hashtags as well. So that, that works works fine. And then in the main, the, the lower part of the, of the right-hand uh, pane, that's where you see your actual content. So all the posts that uh, appear there. And they appear in pretty much the same way as you'd expect to see them on the web interface. So... Up the t for each post at the top, you've got your information about the poster. So the avatar, name, username of that particular post, uh, the date and time, usual blah, 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 blah. Then you've got your content. And a good thing about this one is that content warnings, which is actually quite a big feature of um, certainly of Mastodon. I don't know whether the other Fediverse uh, components use it, but you can actually you can set a content warning for your post. Things like I'm trying to think of what a content warning would be. Well, spo uh, nudity or spoilers. Spoilers are the one I spoilers. That, yeah. that that's a really good example. You can mark it as spoilers, and Tuba will honour that content warning. You'll have to then click through to to see the content beneath it. And then under the content, you get your reply, boost, or repeat, or reshare, or whatever whatever your options you're used to. Favorite and bookmark buttons, and that's it. It really is. It's, it's, it's almost like a web app to your Fediverse instance. At least that's how it appears to me. And it does work really well. Now, my own personal observations from having used it for quite some time is I have noticed that on occasions you do get a really, really odd error 
if you change between timelines or change accounts, sometimes you'll get something pop up. See if I recreate it, actually. Pops up and says, um, an error occurred, partial content received, or something along those lines. Sometimes you need to refresh a couple of times by re-clicking on the, uh, on the timeline to try and get that to clear. But it, it's a little quirk of the, uh, of the application. And from my perspective, it doesn't really detract too much from the experience. It's something they probably should resolve. And I did look in their issues list and I didn't see it there. So possibly they're not, made, they're not aware of it. So I may end up um, reporting that one myself. And there's also some functionality missing that you, don't, that you do currently get from the web interface. You can't edit posts that you've made. You can't use emoji to react to posts, which some Fediverse instances allow you to do. The one we use doesn't. It's not a function it has enabled, but that is something that I think is is coming to to newer Mastodon instances now. But just from an overall application perspective, this client behaves like a very, very well-designed piece of software that's been out for a few weeks despite the fact that it's based on another piece of software that's been out for at least three years. But having said that, it does look like a development of Tuba is still very active. So I'm hoping that means that we'll, we'll get more stuff like this in the, in the future. I do know that the two things I mentioned about emoji reactions and editing uh, posts, that is something that they do already have things in their uh, issues log to add. When they're going to do it, I really don't know. But regardless, this is a... A really, really lovely Fediverse client. I love the fact that it supports all of my accounts from multiple instances. I was keeping a whole bunch of tabs open in my browser to accommodate all the Mastodon accounts that I have, but now I don't have to do that. The one thing this app doesn't do is make me use the Fediverse any more than I did do previously, but I don't think that's a fault with the app. I think that might actually be a fault with me. I shall raise a bug with myself immediately. So that, that's my my summary of the app. Andrew, how did you get on with uh, Tuba? I don't have much to say, really. I think you've covered a lot and more than I was going to cover, actually, because I didn't quite go, to, go through it in as much depth as you did. But after my failure to get it working on uh, Void Linux, I came back to Slackware. And at this point, I had two options. One was to compile from source, there wasn't a Slack build, so I'd have to do it myself, which I think looking at the dependencies was absolutely fine, no problem at all. But I thought, you know, I've got a confession to make. I have never used Flatpak. I don't think. I've certainly never used it in Slackware before. And there was a Slack build for Flatpak. So I went and read the instructions for how to install it. Then I went and read about Flatpak, knowing very little about it. And I got a bit of a shock because... To install Tuba, which, let's face it, is a pretty lightweight application and was, yeah, just a few meg. Flatpak pulled in a gigabyte of dependencies. <laughs> yeah, so that that's all the, the core Flatpak libraries and stuff. That shocked me the first time I used Flatpak. Yeah, well, it's pulling a lot of GTK stuff in. A lot of that's already on Slackware, so, I mean, that's the point of Flatpak. It's not relying on the, the OS to have what it needs. So, yes, I understand that. But, yeah, really... A gig to play with Tuba um, is a bit much. I mean, there's distros that are not as big as a gig of, <laughs> of install, like TinyCore. Anyway, so mm. it worked, uh, no problem at all. It was dead easy to uh, get Tuba running through Flatpak. Except I immediately hit a problem in that the auto-authentication 
business that didn't work. So I go to add, as you described, add the, our Mastodon, the me.uk Mastodon server. It then took me, as you'd expect, to the web page of that server so I could enter my username and password and authenticate. But then it couldn't tell, it couldn't go back and tell Flatpak that it got the authentication. It obviously didn't know where it was. Um, to it, it couldn't communicate with the application from the browser, which did work in Void Linux uh, very smoothly. But I discovered that you could do it manually just by going to another page, another method within Tuba. And then you could copy the code manually into Tuba from the web page, and that worked fine. So it wasn't a big deal really at all. I mean, from from manual, the ma- the manual way of doing it was barely any more work than the automatic way. So you just had to copy and paste one code. Big deal, not a problem. Now here I found again exactly as Dave described Tuba, very nice, smooth intuitive application. I could reply to posts, I could boost posts or retweet them, I could favourite them, no problem at all. Um yeah, no problem problem with that. And then I thought I'll 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 announce to the Fediverse that I'm using Tuba. Oh, how do I create a new post? So what I did was this is I'll read out the first post that I made uh, into the Fediverse using Tuba. This is written in Tuba. It took me quite a while to figure out how to make a fresh post. Replying to an existing post was easy enough, but to do this I had to click on an icon in the top left in the window bar, then click on a little edit icon above my profile picture at the top left of the window, not obvious exclamation mark. Nobody else seemed to have used Tuba because nobody really interacted with that and said, (laughs) yeah, I found that too. But I saw Kevy was nodding there. Um, So... my only great with it is, what a weird place to put the f- new post button. Very, very odd decision. In the top left of window, in the window bar. Weird. Now, other than that, I have to say it worked very well. It had a very clean UI, despite the secret post button. Until you explained it, Dave, I had no idea what the conversation tab was about. I hadn't twigged that I only ever had one direct message exchange on Mastodon, or in the Fediverse. I thought the conversation tab was actually broken because I couldn't figure out what it was about. But now I understand. The other problem I had is, although the timeline updated okay, my notifications didn't update at all, even though I could see from Tusky on my phone that I had new messages to look at. So I restarted Tuba, and then... I don't know why I restarted uh, Tuba. Yeah... I think that was, I think in a sort of random, like maybe this will work, but it didn't. And then I went into the preferences and enabled background work, and then notifications would update just fine. So that seemed to be the solution, um, or possibly restarting the app. But I think it was enabling background work in the preferences tab, which was disabled by default. And of course, there was no notifications outside the app. I think because of the way I'd installed it in Flatpak, maybe, or maybe it has no desktop uh, notifications. Either way, that's not going to bother me. So overall, I thought, you know, if I was going to use Mastodon on a desktop, which I'm probably not going to do, because usually it's something I would do on my phone more than my desktop, Tuba would fit the bill. Yeah, I would use it for that purpose. I would have it. Maybe I'd want some kind of notifications from my desktop environment that I had a new message if I was doing it that way and improving the location of the fresh post button. Yeah, pretty good app. I liked it. So, Kevy, what what do you make of it? Well, 
I've got a slight issue here. You guys clearly hacked my computer and read my notes because you've picked up all the good points and all that's actually left for me is a couple of complaints I had. I do wish to point out before I actually say this, I actually had quite a good time with this. It's just I don't want to repeat what's already been said. One thing I did actually have that I don't know, don't think either of you guys said it. My first time I started up, and this happened every time. Now, I maybe should point out I did try and install it. No, I sorry, I did install it on Void Linux, but it refused point blank to fire up. I had already been trying it for longer on Ubuntu, and I just installed it through the Flatpak. But there's an official Flatpak. There's a bunch of third-party versions. If you want the nightly, you can have a snap. Uh, yeah, I just went for the official download. The reason I went for the official is because I've had quite a few issues recently with bug reports. This isn't working. And basically what's happened is the Kachuk backs in. You are not using the official thing. You're using a, a, an Ubuntu snap, which is unsupported. So hmm. uh, that's the reason why I went for the official one. Right. So uh, on the first start, when I first loaded it up, it logged in no bother, but I had no home screen. Its home screen was just saying something went wrong. Notifications were there, conversations were there, home screen just said something went wrong. So I just closed it, restarted it, and it was all fine. Now, the other thing that and you will notice, it's a very, very white, it's very light, the, the, the default viewer. So I thought, right, let's have a wee look. Let's have a look in this preferences. And yep, in settings, there is dark option there. Click on dark option. By default, it actually looks not so much like a phone, but to me, it looks like it would be proportionally sized to a tablet. That kind of proportion. So it, to me, it was too wide. That's just my opinion. So I thought, right, let's go dark and let's make it much narrower so that it just looks a bit more streamlined. So it actually looks more like my phone, which is what I chances are I will be using this on. And I was like, yep, I like that. But as Andrew said, where, where's the post button? <laughs> it's a bit annoying. You've got to pull that side tab up, then the post button's there. Now, even at, uh, now here's me stretching it to the point where it's as squashed as it'll go. Won't go any more squashed. I'm looking at it on my screen just now. There's like the three buttons at the bottom. Home, notification, conversations. There is space either side of those to actually stick a compose button. I, I think that's something that really needs. Either that or have a quick key to just say, you know, P is post or something like that, or T for two. two. I don't really care, you know, but just a, something to give a, a compose. So, yeah. The problem was when I actually had it dark and squashed as much as I wanted, and I thought, yeah, I like that. That's fine. When I loaded it back up again, it ignored everything I had done and went back to the default setting of a light and wider view. So I, I tried that. I thought, this is just a one-off. Tried it. No. So, so it just didn't want to save my preferences, which is a wee bit annoying, but it's not a major thing. One thing I did find quite odd is there's a legal section. And I was like, okay, that's all we looked at. So I looked through everything. So legal section, and it states in it, copyright, bleak, grey, copyright, Evangelos, Jep, Jr., Paterakis. I'm sorry if I butchered those names. And then it says, for license, CGPLV3. 
And wait, wait a minute, you can't copyright and yet say it's GPLv3. Am I right now? Isn't GPLv3 not copyleft? That's my understanding, yes. Yeah, so I thought that was kind of strange. <laughs> so everything else, it's kind of been said. Oh, one thing I will say is the stream, by default, the stream updates automatically. That's not a problem. But be wary because several times I was there going, oh, yeah, that post, I want to repost that. And it had updated that quickly. I actually ended up reposting something that was completely irrelevant and not worthy of reposting. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, yeah. That could have been embarrassing. So, yeah, so I had to undo that. You know, I literally, <laughs> literally what I found myself doing was it was something really daft as well. I felt embarrassed about it because it was like, you know, oh, there's a new version of uh, Proton out. Let's retweet that. Let's repost that. And then it's like, Oh, dash, I just spilled this all down my front. What a mess I've made in my church. That's what I've actually reposted. <laughs> you're like, oh, come on. <laughs> so so uh, that was a, a wee bit annoying. I would actually rather, if you were hovering around the repost that, or the favorite, that it would maybe hold off. <laughs> uh, now, Dave's already mentioned about posting. Uh, it, one thing you didn't actually mention was it did have a character count, which is quite handy for keeping up... Uh, up, uh, keeping tabs on the length of your post. It's extremely functional as a desktop client. Now, the one thing we have to remember is, yeah, I think Dave touched on this, I think, is that it's only a month old. You know, it, it's had two pre-release versions. It's had point, like one and point two. This is very, very stable and functional. I, I was really impressed by this. The, the only one thing I would say is, it's it, it's clean to the point of being too clean. The, the theming just is so bland. It I'm thinking now maybe it's just because I'm harking back when I used to use the Fediverse. Pardon me, more so on the desktop. I used Turpial, I used Hotot, I used Pino, and I liked how they look. It's not that I dislike how this looks. It's just so dashed empty, and you can't really give it much color. And in fact, if you go to the GitHub page. It actually asks you not to theme it. <laughs> so it's like, ah. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, that's just a minor uh, thing. Like I said, the, the big thing for me is I would like it to save that dark theme. If I, it's given me the option to do it, I wanted to save it. Save the sizing, and I would really like a compose button to be somewhere else. Other than that, I find this really good. I did like the way that when you clicked on a picture or photograph, or video, or whatever, you could choose to open it up in your image viewer, or your video, via, like your VLC, mm. whichever media player you've got, and also you can save it. So I really like that theme. Mm. That, that, sorry, that, those additions. It was very nice. Uh, like I said, early days for this project, but given how well they've done in a short space of time, I think this is one to really keep an eye on. I could actually see this becoming something that distributions in the way back in let's say the late noughties uh remember whenever you installed anything basically Gwibber was on it i could see this being that you know it, it, it starts coming as a default in a lot of distros not all of them obviously but in an awful lot of them yeah so that's pretty much my my take on that <laughs> don't think i can add much more see i i used Gwibber back in the day when it was kind of probably the only reasonably usable client on Linux at the time. 
I th- if I remember rightly, it was um, it was included as part of the uh, Ubuntu installs of, of, of the age. Yes, it was the, yes. It was the, was the default. I, d- I don't mean that it's compatible to Twitter as but as far as functionality and looks. I just mean that it, I could see it becoming something that's pre-installed. Yeah. Yes, no, ab- absolutely, absolutely. But no, I think uh, yeah, from a from a visual perspective, this is d- eons ahead of where Gwibble was. It is, but, but I don't c- think it's. <laughs> I don't think it's to the stage like where the likes of Pino, Hot Hot, and uh, uh, Turpial were. I prefer okay. the look of them. That's just my personal opinion. It's just my, it's just so well, bland. That's what I, I like the GTK um, design guidelines. So this kind of appeals to me. Point well taken about the compose button. That is absolutely in the wrong place. Particularly as if you if the the, the sidebar is is collapsed because of the width of the application you lose the compose button and surely that's the entire point of the application or the equally the the the, the two points of the application is to compose and consume i have a question why do you know why the author of tuba felt that he he or she needed to fork tootle what was wrong with tootle in their opinion do you know that tootle became Unmaintained, uh, and it was moved from its location. The, the location that's on the Tuba web page uh, actually does say it says uh, Tuba's a fork of Tootle. If you click on that, mm-hmm. it says in the README, which was updated four months ago, that this project is no longer maintained and doesn't accept pull requests. Oh, but then it links to GNOME World, where Tootle is placed into a into their GitLab, which has also was last updated four months ago. So there's no indication about whether Tootle is still being looked after or not. But I think that's the reason why Tuber existed, because Tootle effectively went to sleep for a bit. I see. Okay. Yes. The, no, just only one thing I was actually meant to say as well is, uh, yeah, Andre, I discovered I had the same thing as you as far as notifications go. It gave me no desktop notifications, but it did update as far as like sort of uh, my my notifications tab updated fine, and as did my home tab. My home tab updated too fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think maybe uh, a button to manually update would be nice, so you could. It's not automatic. Uh, that might be nice. F five, believe it or not. It, yes, yeah, you F5? can actually set it. You have to go to settings and see because it, it, there is the option by default. It's live updates. Oh, okay. You can untick that. And how yeah, do you, you find that out off, that it's yeah. F5? Is there a, a help in there? Or a... I, muscle memory. Muscle memory. Uh, I, li- I literally wanted to refresh, and I just reached over yeah, and pressed no, F5 no, on the no, keyboard. And enough, it just, F5, yeah. it's, it's not documented as far as I can see. Uh, yes, F5 is, I think that is the refresh button in Dolphin, the file manager. But I wouldn't have thought to have tried it in Tuba. But yeah, oh, muscle memory. Yeah. If I didn't yeah. think about it, my muscle memory might have done it. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. Right then, so are we ready for a tune then? <laughs> yes. Right. This is a Friday Pilots Club with the track Life Support. It's been four months since you left me. But it's been two minutes since you called. Say I've been acting like the old me 
the point in the show where we go through the feedback so what feedback have we had of late well I only think it's right that we give uh, at Solar Spider or Peter Patterson uh, a wee bit of a shout out because he announced since the last show that he has now finished listening to all the uncut feeds available and before that all just the normal podcasts available so he is right up to date so I think that actually deserves a clap yep indeed also it means he's impressive. listened to mo- he's listened to more touch jam than I have <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Well, no, technically not, because there there is some stuff that doesn't even make it into the uncut feed. Okay, that's true. Because we forget to start recording. But so there was a bit of you know, uncut there, feed there is a- earlier that I missed because I went... Yeah. So we do miss bits of the uncut feed because we go to the toilet and we go to get more beer or whiskey or whatever. Yes. So, so he, hears, he hears all of that. So in that sense, he hears more of what we've recorded than I do. But you're right. There's uh, really... To be honest, the best bits that we don't record, even for the uncut feed, that nobody gets to hear. Which is a real shame, but if we recorded it, then it would be rubbish. <laughs> so, what can we do? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, I do believe we might have had a pod crawl since we last recorded. Is that right? Mm. Yes. Have we? It may have been a dream. It Well, it certainly wasn't a dream, because I actually ended up having a hangover the following day, which is not... <laughs> <laughs> not, uh, is that not, not the point not of normal. Crawl? <laughs> Well, normally I get away with it, but no, not uh, not this time around. Um, and if although no, actually that's not true. The last time I had a hangover after pod crawl was completely and totally Joe Ressington's fault. Uh, <laughs> oh yes, he forced. <laughs> he's not been it. back since. If, uh, no one's noticed. Yeah, <clears throat> but yes, we did have a uh, a pod crawl in March. I think it was. 
to uh, to celebrate the the arrival of spring. Not that we need a reason to sit in our pants on video and drink beer. But um, yeah, we had uh, 17 people came along to this one, which is a, a good number. Um, would you like a roll call? Yes, I think we need to give them a roll call. They sure right. don't well, they deserve could, a roll call. This is going to be a roll call with a difference because um, I didn't attend from the very start like I normally do. So uh, it fell to Peter once again um, to take the roll call and he did it for the entire evening. But he took roll call rather literally and as part of the whenever anybody arrived, he asked everybody what their favourite role was. <laughs> um, so I will uh, I will include those as well, just for the chuckle. So Peter himself, he was the first person on the list. Uh, his role was a buttery role, quite right Ooh. too. Um, George Geospart, his was a Kaiser role. I have no idea what that is. Um, it sounds interesting. Um, Tallulah, the Supreme Overlord... Uh, being George's cat, uh, a tang a tangshong roll. Mm. Again, don't know what that is. Discerning cat. Um, mm? I said a discerning cat. A discerning cat, indeed. Uh, Gary um, Tritium Three, I think is his name is, mm-hmm. uh, said a Browning's well fired roll. Mm. Uh, which uh, I I think I may have had one of those in on one of my various joints up to uh, to Scotland. Uh, very nice thing or two. Um, Gavin uh, Chocolon went slightly lateral with this one and said rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, myself, uh, I went for a scotch roll because you can't go wrong with a scotch roll, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lainey, she said cinnamon roll. Mm, Kevin, do you remember what you said? You, you gave two poly. answers. Yeah, what was the other one? Oh, I don't know. I remember only Yeah, you, you said hog roast. Apparently, that's what it's written down here. No, I put roly poly. No, you said roly poly, yeah. The, the first one I put down that, that was that's that would be Rolly Polly because I put in two L's. No, <laughs> yes, I was Rolly Polly. Oh, for some reason, uh, Peter wrote down Hog Roast Roll as well. I have no well. clue what that is. No, I don't know. <laughs> not a clue. Roast roll. <laughs> uh, Evie popped in for a bit and she said uh, Double Fluffy Roll. Mm. Again, not a clue. Um, Amy Gaming Chico 2 said King's Hawaiian Roll. Again, not a clue. What's <laughs> all these uh, all these American things? Um, Caroline, my good lady wife, she said vegan sausage roll. That was fairly obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, we guy dropped in and said stag morning roll. You have to give oh, a bit, bit of context on that. Good one. choice there. A, st- a stag is one of the bakeries up here, and that's a very ah, good Ah, okay. One of the more expensive right, okay. bakeries, and it's a very good roll. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Uh, Rob Fat Freddy, he said cr- a cheese crusty roll, and uh, I have to say kudos for that one, definitely. Um, he also said loo roll. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, good, good luck uh, eating that one. Um, Andrew, do you remember what you said and the reason why? It is still in my um, Jitsi name. It's uh, honor. Oh yeah, honor yes. roll. Honor, honor roll. As in honor. H o n o u r was the original um, answer you gave, apparently, which then became on a roll. No, I think just Peter misheard me. It was always on a roll uh, as as written. Oh, okay, okay. Yes, I don't know what honor um, roll Alf, means. Honor roll. It's, no, honor it's, roll. A, list, it's a list of. <laughs> right. It's a list of people. Is it? Oh, like for the, for the queen's honors for knighthoods and stuff. Yes, ah. uh, for example, yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Everybody won um, a competition. That kind of idea. Honor, yes, honor that, that's, yeah. that's that's the kind of thing. Okay. 
Um, Al from the Abin Abin podcast, he came in and said uh, sausage roll, which, mm. you know, the, uh, it's a good the, the, the basics are the best. No, absolutely. Um, Yannick went kind of laterally in the opposite direction and said roll model. Roll model. <laughs> Which was quite clever, uh, and then uh, Alan from uh, from Southampton, one of my amateur radio uh, friends, he said cookie roll to start with because his surname's Cook, uh, and then said alu roll, not alu. alu roll, an alu roll. It's in potato roll, which is potato. Yes, how oh, strange! I've never heard of that. That would be an that? Indian thing, yes. Because I, I know it's well, the alu he, curries. He, he does a lot of work with the Nepalese, Nepalese community. So I don't know whether it's something to do with that or not. Gosh, do they have much of a Nepalese community in Southampton? I'm surprised. Uh, apparently so, yes. Well, actually, I don't know. I mean, because there's even a Nepalese community up here. So they must actually be getting around. Well, but I don't think there's mm. in Glasgow. I've never really noticed any Nepalese But uh, to be honest, I know that... See, the the ones who have served as Gurkhas, I yep. know a lot of them settled uh, in Britain because they get the... British rate. You know, if they if they settle in Nepal, they get the Nepalese rate, which is way lower. You know, for their pensions and that. Right. Yeah, I, I, I did not lived in Aldershot for ages, and there was a huge Nepalese, a, a huge Gurkha community in mm. uh, in Aldershot. But that's not surprising, given the uh, the presence of the army there. So yes, thank you to uh, everybody that came along to uh, Podcrawl. We have another one booked in. How about the twentieth? Is that June the twentieth? Is that doable? Yeah, fine by me. Works for us. The only other thing that I wanted to mention was, <clears throat> I presume everybody remembers the Ubuntu podcast, which uh, finished a couple of years ago. And I have to mention this because I mention it every single time, the Ubuntu podcast actually started a day after I started podcasting, just saying. The three hosts at the time that the Ubuntu podcast stopped, Alan Pope, Marty Wimpress, and Mark Johnson, have just started a brand new podcast called Linux Matters, uh, which you can find at linuxmatters.sh. And they're just talking about how Linux has impacted their daily lives. And their first episode uh, was released, well, according to my podcaster, 37 minutes ago. So... Uh, I think it was slightly more than that, but it was certainly today at the time of recording, at least. So, it's, if you if you if you miss the guys, uh, as I certainly do, then it's certainly worth going and uh, going checking that out. And the other thing was, we're talking about uh, pod crawl in Persian potentially. Uh, by the way, where do we want to do this? Are we going to do it in Glasgow? Do you want to do it in Stornoway for a change? Uh, well, I'd love to do into Stornoway is going to be it's going yeah. to be a nightmare for us. I, I would love to come to Stornoway, especially to help you finish that whiskey that you can't finish. Um, You're more welcome. <laughs> but uh, well, are we going to provisionally say that the 29th of July that'll be Saturday? How does that sound? Uh, yes. Okay, so um, 20th of May for the pod crawl, not okay. in person, and. 29th of July for the pod crawl in person. Yes. In person. Yes. Like I said, I think that's... Is that about us then? It is. I, I think, think it probably is, yes. Right, so if you want to actually contact the show, then please do uh, an email to tuxjam at otherside.network. If you want to contact me personally, I am at kevy 49 on Twitter, although not really very active these days. 
I'm also at Kevy on Mastodon.me.uk and also at Kevy on Mastodon.me.br. So, Andrew, how do people contact you? Well, McNally on Twitter, if you want to contact me there. Not, as Kevy said, not very active there. Uh, or McNally uh, on uh, Mastodon.me.uk. And you can find me on Twitter as well, on the the Love Bug on there, and you can find me at the Love Bug at Mastodon.me.uk, where I am equally n- inactive on both. <laughs> okay then, right then. So we'll leave you with a nice chilled out track here, and and this is by Anian, and the track is Alchemy. So it's a good night from me, and a good night from myself. Arise, Your Majesty. listening to a member of the other side podcast network find more about our shows at otherside.network <laughs>